then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Hey, Gateway family, this is Joel Copley. I'm your St. Albans campus minister. A, a few years back, we had a young couple that uh, when they first started coming, they sat on the back corner and, and every Sunday they were there. And every time I'd walk by them, I'd, just, I'd welcome to, them to church and just say hi to them and talk to them for just a moment. And then about six weeks into being here, they came up to me and said, Joel, we wanna make Gateway our church. And they said, the main reason for that is because so many people stopped and talked to them just like I did to make them feel welcomed and they, know, they understood the importance of that warm, uh, inviting feeling of a church. And so when they started serving, they wanted to be greeters so they could extend that, that warm, inviting welcome to the people that are new to the church as well. And I just think that's a great way uh, that we can learn from first impressions here at this church. Well, good morning. We're here to re representing the hospitality ministry at Gateway Taze Valley. So we wanna tell you a little bit about more, more of what we do and why. First, for the starting point team, we uh, greet people as they arrive. And this is important both to the church and to, to me because you matter and welcoming you gives us a way to say that we're glad you're here and that you're important. We also prepare and clean up communion and this is important because having that time to reflect and think about what Jesus did for us, that he died for us, and to think about his leading in our everyday lives, that's, that time is important. And I am really glad to have that time. And that happens because there's people who prepare and clean it up. We also count attendance and the offering. And that helps the leadership to better be able to serve those who come and to manage resources uh, to honor God. I love connecting with people, but I'm also a detail person. <laughs> and so I love that we wanna have someone in the starting point area at the table to be there to help you with anything you need help with and to answer questions. Now, we might not always know the answer, but we will do our best to help you find the answer that you need. You know, I was the person who came to church here for a year, went in and out the door and never spoke to anybody. So it's kind of brought me out of my comfort zone and forced me you know, like Lynn said, to connect with people. In the cafe, really, we, uh, we make coffee, we have snacks, but it's, it's more important than that. It's about fellowship. People can get together, meet, greet, catch up with what's going on during the week and get to know people. So that's more of why it's important, um, I think, to have the cafe ministry. It's pretty simple. Um, we need volunteers. If you think this would be a good fit, we'd love to have you on the team. And welcome. We're glad you're here. So there are plenty of ways to serve within First Impressions, from greeting to the Welcome Center or starting point to the working in the cafe or children's check-in. Uh, there's plenty of different opportunities to serve in that area, so just check with your campus minister if you want to be a part of that. And don't be like, uh, like we hear from other churches of where people come up and say, hey, you're sitting in my seat, or people leave our building and, and say, Hey, no one spoke to me today. If you are here at Gateway, you are part of First Impressions. It doesn't matter if you're serving on that team or not. Everyone has a part in First Impressions. So let's be a church that is friendly and welcoming.
We are reading Psalm 139. Lord, you know everything there is to know about me. You perceive every movement of my heart and soul, and you understand my every thought before it even comes in my mind. You are so intimately aware of me, Lord. You read my heart like an open book, and you know all the words I'm about to speak before I even start a sentence. You know every step I will take before my journey begins. You've gone into my future to prepare the way, and in kindness you follow me to spare me from the harm of my past. You have laid your hand on me. This is just too wonderful, deep and incomprehensible. Your understanding of me brings me wonder and strength. Where could I go from your spirit? Where could I run and hide from your face? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the realm of the dead, you're there too. If I fly with wings into the shining dawn, you're there. If I fly into the radiant sunset, you're there waiting. Wherever I go, your hand will guide me. Your strength will empower me. It's impossible to disappear from you or to ask the darkness to hide me. For your presence is everywhere, bringing light into my night. There is no such thing as darkness with you. The night to you is as bright as the day. There's no difference between the two. You form my innermost being, shaping my delicate inside and my intricate outside, and wove them all together in my mother's womb. I thank God for making me so mysteriously complex. Everything you do is marvelously breathtaking. It simply amazes me to think about it. How thoroughly you know me, Lord. You even formed every bone in my body when you created me in the secret place. Carefully, skillfully, you shaped me from nothing into something. You saw who created me. You saw who you created to be me to be before I became, before I'd ever seen the light of day. The number of days you planned for me were already recorded in your book. Every single moment you are thinking of me. How precious and wonderful to consider that you cherish me constantly in your every thought. Oh God, your desires toward me are more than the grains of sand on every shore. When I wake each morning, you, you're still with me. O oh God, come and slay these bloodthirsty, murderous men. For I cry out, depart from me, you wicked ones. See how they blaspheme your sacred name and lift up themselves against you, but all in vain. Lord, can't you see how I despise those who despise you? For I grieve when I see them rise up against you. I have nothing but complete hatred and disgust for them. Your enemies shall be my enemies. God, I invite your searching gaze into my heart. Examine me through and through. Find out everything that may be hidden within me. Put me to the test and sift through my anxious cares. See if there is a path of pain I'm walking on. And lead me back to your glorious, everlasting way the path that brings me back to you. Thank you, ladies. What a great translation of the Bible, the Passion Translation. I just was recently uh, came across it and really love it. I encourage you to read the Passion Translation in your devotional time, along with whatever translation you prefer. Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks for being here. Nearing the end of October. Can you believe October is 
flying by. I even saw in the uh, announcement page from the QR code, Christmas announcements. They're Christmas announcements. Not just Operation Christmas Child, but Christmas announcements. Times of services for Christmas Eve. It'll be here before you know it. I hope you're having a good fall. I hope things are going well with you and your life and your family and your marriage, everything about you. If it's not, this is a good place to be. Amen? It's a good place to be. God wants you here. God is working on you and in you. And as we sang, even when you can't see it or feel it, God is still working. Now, we've been in this series. This is the fourth of fifth messages we're going to be in this series. I'm excited about November, too. We're going to be doing a series called The Chosen the chosen, and we're going to be showing at every campus the the uh, mini series, the chosen. And so, on Sunday nights in November, you can come here and watch two episodes each of the four um, weeks of November. You can watch an episode. We'll have a little snack break time, and then we'll watch another episode right here where you're seated on the big screen. Free movie. If you've not seen the chosen, plan on. Uh, watching that. We'll give you a little preview next week, uh, the last Sunday in October. But this is the fourth message here on the sermon series available. I hope this is resonating with you. If you've been thinking about stepping up to serve or being involved or engaged at a deeper level, a higher level than you currently are, then I think that's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's no good to just kind of take the back row seat, spiritually speaking. I'm not necessarily referring to people on the back road this morning. I'm just talking about spiritually, you know, when you want to sit and let everybody else do the work. And so the series is designed to get you to understand that we are saved to serve, to be available. Isaiah said, here am I, Lord, send me. Now, we've talked about some things as we make our way down through this really a powerful tool the SHAPE tool, our ministry SHAPE, the word SHAPE is an acronym. And we've talked about your spiritual gifts. We've talked about your heart, how God can stir your heart for something. We've talked about last week your abilities, that everybody has some ability, they can do something, and uh, we ought to be using our abilities for the kingdom, for the Lord, through uh, the the church, really, through, the, through his church in some way, shape, or form, even out there in the community. And today we're going to talk about, and next week, really, the next two, counting today, are some of the most personal things about you. They're very personal. And today is your personality. The P in the word shape stands for personality. And you had your personality longer than you had your spiritual gifts. Get your spiritual gifts when you come to Christ, when you're saved. You've had your personality longer than you've had the stirrings of your heart. You know, I think it takes a more, a little bit more mature person, not necessarily an adult, but, uh, you know, somebody over the age of 12, I would think, to really know what God is stirring your heart in. You've, but you've had your personality longer than that. You've had it longer than your abilities. And so we're going to talk today about your personality. How can you be available with your personality? Now, we know that personality is largely determined by genetics. It's largely determined by genetics. However, your environment can also help shape your personality, the environment you grow up in. Many of you, like me, are a whole lot like your parents. I'm a whole lot like my dad, not a whole lot like my mother, but I want some of my mother's qualities. 
I just have a hard time consistently having them. More like my dad. And some of you are the same way. You can see yourself. And if you can't, ask your spouse, do you see my dad in me? And, and they'll probably say, way too much. Yes, way too much. Well, one study, the Minnesota study of twins reared apart, studied 300, uh, 350 pairs of twins, both identical and fraternal, for 20 years, 79 to 99, and they discovered that the identical twins' personality were by and large the same. Now, that may not be the case for every set of identical twins, not so much so for fraternal twins. Fraternal twins' personalities can be just like any other of your children, but identical twins sometimes share the same personality. So we know it's a lot of genetics going on here. There's a lot of genetics, but you're not entirely like your dad. You're not entirely like your mother or your grandparents. You are a unique blend of you. I had one lady tell me, she said, uh, I am a type A personality, but when I had kids, I had to let it go because kids are messy. And if you're a type A person, a particular type of type A person, you know you don't like messes. Now, your personality type might change over the years. I know mine has probably changed in some ways over the years, and I'll tell you about mine in just a moment, but yours may have changed, but by and large, you're going to be the same person, the same kind of inner th thoughts and struggles and challenges, uh, victories, losses that you have been all of your life. Now, my daughter's convinced me to take the Enneagram test. Anybody taking the Enneagram? Enneagram? You know, it's numbers, and it kind of identifies you. Well, I'm a number one, uh, which is the, the cursed perfectionist type, and uh, the reformer. Do you have any other number ones out there? Any number ones? Uh, there's got to be some number ones. Okay, Donna. Yeah, we like things just so, don't we, Donna? I took the Myers-Briggs personality test years ago, and uh, I don't have any taken the Myers-Briggs. Myers-Briggs, yeah, more of you have taken that. I am an ISTJ, ISTJ. That stands for introvert, sensing, thinking, judging. Here's a description from the MBTI, Myers-Briggs Test Inventory website. ISTJs tend to be reserved, practical, and quiet. They enjoy order and organization in all areas of their lives, including their homework, family, and projects. ISTJs value loyalty in themselves and others and place an emphasis on traditions. Now, I really resonate with that definition. I like that definition because I can see myself there. We ISTJs are detail-oriented. We like to plan things to others' chagrin. We'll plan out our vacations. Yeah, we don't see a lot of gray. We're observant, realistic, responsible. Notice I'm picking out all the good things on this personality. Uh, practical, orderly, organized. We place a big emphasis on tradition and laws. I get my, uh, I know it's, for, for some of you it's hard to believe that I'm on the introvert scale, but it's not necessarily how you act all the time because being a pastor has forced me out of that shell, but it's where you draw your energy. It's how you get recharged. And I recharge by solitude, by being alone, by uh, being just with one other person. But I don't get a lot of energy out of being in groups of people. In fact, my energy is drained more when I'm with lots of people, especially for a long period of time. I need to get by myself. I prefer small groups, one-on-one -on -one friendships, and I'm very loyal to them and expect loyal back, back to me. 
Now, I have weaknesses, hard to believe, I know. I can be very judgmental and insensitive. My desire to speak the truth can plainly, or truth plainly can sometimes be abrasive and hurt feelings. I sometimes have unrealistic expectations of people around me. I have a hard time admitting I'm wrong, mainly because I rarely am. And I like to be in control of, well, everything, everything in my life. I could go on and on, but that's all Jennifer could write down for me on that little piece of paper that I gave her. Enough about me, though. What about you? What's your personality? Nothing says who you are quite like your personality. One lady told me, remember, preacher, blonde, brunette, and redhead are not personality types. I'm not so sure about that, but I'll go with it. Let's do a little exercise here just for a few seconds. I want you to come up with a name for yourself by using an alliterative adjective. In other words, if your first name starts with D, like mine does, Dave, make an adjective that starts with D and describe yourself. So the first thing I thought of was determined Dave. Determined Dave. Notice I didn't say daring Dave or dumb Dave or dazzling Dave. I said determined Dave. In fact, my initials are DTS. I like to think of them as determined to succeed. DTS. So just in a few seconds, come up with a name. If you're close enough to somebody else, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm determined Dave. Ready? You got 15 seconds. Go. Go. All right, hold on to that name. Our, our uh, guitar player over here is Terry. He told me, he said, hi, I'm Technical Terry. If you know Terry, that's Terry's name. I have a nephew who was here last service. His name's Brett. My adjective for him would be Brainy Brett because whatever it is you're talking about, he knows about, and he can find the answer. Brainy Brett. I'll have to ask Brett what his adjective is. What's yours, honey? Joyful Jennifer. Joyful Jennifer, except when she's dealing with me. All right, how about this exercise? Here's a picture. Do you resonate with this? How many of you resonate with this? Oh. All right, if you don't resonate with this, how about this? Yeah? So where are my kittens out there? How about my my lions? Yeah. Uh, and, and so we have, uh, you know, kittens and lions, and that can say a whole lot about your personality. Maybe you are a kitten, but when you look in the mirror, you see a lion. That's kind of cool, isn't it? Answer these questions to yourself. After a long, hard week, do you prefer a nice, quiet evening, or do you like to unwind with others having fun? Do you tend to hurt feelings or have your feelings hurt? Do you, do you like to carefully plan your vacation time or just let it happen? Do you like confrontation or do you take extra precaution to avoid confrontation? Do you like to read the instruction manual or do you just dive in? I have to read. Do you have a hard time admitting you were wrong or are you always apologizing? Do you like making decisions or would you prefer somebody else make the decision? Yeah, now, so if, 
if I was your psychologist, I might be able to tell you about your personality from that description. And I don't need to tell you that because you've been living with you all of your life. But your friend, your spouse, your uh, people around you are still trying to figure you out. One of the awesome things about being a parent, I think, is to watch our children's personalities uh, emerge. You know, we watch our kids become. And Jennifer and I have raised three daughters, and you know, they all have a unique personality, and it's really interesting to see that. You know, you can see that at a very young age. And some mothers say they can detect the personality of their child even before the child is born, maybe from the movement and the kicking. And, you know, there are some, some children we can look at. They, they may not know yet, but we know what their personality is like, you know, just from looking at their reactions to things. Our Beckley campus minister, uh, he and his wife, Tanya, have three kids. And we were talking this week on our Zoom sermon call, and Russ said, yeah, there's me and then there's Tanya, and we're on opposite ends of the spectrum I said, what about your kid? He said, well, there's little Russ, there's little Tanya, and then there's poor Eli right in the middle. And maybe you have that same thing going on in your family. Well, I want to spend just a a few minutes talking about how you can become more available with your personality. First of all, let's get this straight. Nothing about you was accidental. I love what the Passion Translation how it renders verse 5 when it says, God, you have laid your hands on me. In other words, God's handiwork was right there, making you, you. Verse 13 and 14 says, you formed my innermost being, shaping my delicate inside and my intricate outside, and wove them all together in my mother's womb. I thank you, God, for making me so mysteriously complex. And guys, I don't know about you, but mysteriously complex describes the women in my life. Can I get an amen? But listen, you're not an accident. Just because you have a certain way about you, don't let anybody marginalize you or criticize you for how God made you, whether you like to sit quietly uh, out of the way or you like to be the center of attention. You are not an accident. In fact, not just your personality, but your body shape, your skin color, your eye color, your height, everything about you intrinsically was designed to be that way by God. Now, there are things, I think, that nature has distorted in us, and I think there are things that we do to ourselves. For instance, my body shape is the same, but it shouldn't be this heavy. You with me? So there are things that I do. God didn't design for me to be like this. He designed for me to be healthy. You know what I'm saying? You with me? Can I get an amen there so I can move on? Okay. But I want to tell you something. You are not made for destruction. Some people say, well, you know, I'm, I'm just no good. I'm nothing. You are not made for hell and destruction. Matthew 25, 41 says that hell was created for the devil and his angels, not for man. On the contrary, you and I were made to live in a harmonious relationship with God, with our creator, who the Bible says wants all people to be saved. All people, not some people, all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. The predestined plan of God, and that's what it is, it's a predestined 
plan. It's not a predestined man. The predestined plan of God is that you would come to saving knowledge of Christ, place your complete trust in him, and be conformed to the image of his son. Romans 8.29 says, for those God foreknew. Who did God foreknow? Everyone. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You were made to be more like Jesus. That's why I'm so excited about the November Chosen, not just the series, but what we're going to show on the video, is that it introduces you to Jesus and allows you to fall in love with him and his personality all over again, or maybe for the first time for some of you. You know, Moses was a melancholic perfectionist who didn't want to do the job if it couldn't be done right. Samson, on the other hand, was a party animal who was trying to please everybody. The Apostle Paul was a type A go-getter who, who really could get in there and get it done, but God gave him a thorn in the flesh to humble him, to, to remind him, it's my grace and not your strength. Peter was also a type A. What happens when you get a Paul and a Peter in the same room? They're going to have some clashes, aren't they? And you might remember Peter and Paul did have a clash about how Peter was treating the Gentiles. And Paul challenged him on it, and they had to come to grips about this. Paul also had a conflict with, remember, Barnabas about taking John Mark. Paul's personality was, you better get on board or get out of the way, because I'm going this way. And so Peter and Paul had to extend the right hand of fellowship to one another, Galatians 2, 9, and come to peace. Sometimes our personalities clash, and we need to work on that. Timothy, on the other hand, was timid and quiet and had to stir up the gift. Mary Magdalene wore her feelings on her sleeves as she poured out her fragrant perfume and her emotions on Jesus. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was a quiet, young, quiet girl who was handpicked by God to bear the Son of God, a quiet personality. But when the wedding feast came, that same Mary pointed her finger at Jesus and said, you're going to fix this problem because I know you can't. And that's Mary, and Jesus turned the water into wine. It doesn't matter what your personality. It was not an accident. God can use it for his glory. Now, the last thing I want to tell you is that God can strengthen. He wants to strengthen your personality. Every personality type, whatever it is, however you study it, whatever test you take, there's a weakness side and a strength side. Now, if you're only in tune with your strengths, that's good, but ask your wife and she'll tell you your weaknesses. Or your friend, or ask me, I'll share some with you if I know you well enough. But uh, there are four basic types that kind of come out of this SHAPE acronym uh, idea. It comes from Mark chapter 12, verse 30, where the Bible says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. So from these, there are four basic personality types. We could, you know, we can lump them in several different ways, but from this verse, there are people we can identify who have an easier time loving God in one of these four ways. So let's look at them real quickly. First, there are talkers. There's the ones who worship God easiest from the heart. Talkers, you love to talk. Talkers, you're good at talking. You're good at talking. What's in your heart comes out of your mouth. What's in your heart comes out of your mouth. And it's easy for you to love God with all your heart because you know how to express yourself with your words. Feelers, 
You're a soul person. You're a soul person. You know, oftentimes in the Bible, the synonym for feeling is soul. You're more emotional than the rest of us. You, are, uh, you feel things more deeply in your soul, and that's how you best love God. Thinkers, well, you're thinkers. You love logic and reason. You love to analyze things. You love evidence, and you're able to worship God best with your mind. Doers, man, we love you doers. You're good at getting things done, and we need you at every church event. Amen? And you guys are just, I don't know if you're done here today or if you're just somewhere else, but I'm, uh, I'm not cutting it, I guess. You appreciate the talkers and the, and the feelers and the thinkers, but there's a time in your life where you say, hey, that's just time to get it done. Let's just do it. So I want to spend, I want to go back through that real quickly, and I want to I tell you what your potential weaknesses are and your strengths are, all right? So love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Talkers, let's talk about you first. You have such incredible power to influence people with your words. You know, you're good at that. That's your, that's your expertise. You're a talker. Be positive. Be encouraging. Some of us, including myself here, can remember things said to us from a parent years ago and it still hurts. It still hurts. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but uh, just think about this. Raise your hand in your head. How many of you have ever been hurt by words? Yeah, you have. And maybe those words weren't spoken by a talker, but talkers kind of lead the way in being able to be positive and encouraging and show us what it means to worship God with, with, with our talk. The Bible says, though, in Proverbs 12, 18, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So don't be a gossip. Be careful with your words. Proverbs 10, 19 says, sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. Let's move on to feelers. If you're a feeler out there, you love with all your heart. You're an emotional person. You cry easily. Um, you know, I just saw a study somewhere, maybe it was on the news somewhere, that men actually are today crying more than women. Anybody hear this study? Okay, it makes me cry when I hear that, honestly. It makes me want to cry. Not really. But, you know, you have to be careful if you're a feeler not to be manipulated by your moods and rain on everybody else's parade or tempted by your emotions and, you know, squelch everybody else's enthusiasm. Sometimes the right thing to do is not what you feel in your heart. In fact, the heart is deceptive. Your feelings will lie to you. They'll tell you one thing today and something else tomorrow. You know what I mean, don't you? You've had your ups and your downs, and if you had to live the truth based on your feelings, it would be hard for you. So you need to use some discernment. The Bible says in Galatians 5, Paul said, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And that's what a lot of our feelings are. It's, I want to gratify the flesh. Let's move to thinkers. Thinkers, you're like the psalmist. You love to meditate. You love to think. Anybody see the, uh, I think it was an Andy Griffith episode where uh, 
Gomer went to the Marine Corps. Anybody see that one? Yeah. And remember he went there and his personality clashed with Sergeant Carter's? Remember that? Sergeant Carter sent him to the barracks and what did he tell him to do? Put something over his head. Put a bucket over his head and just think. Just think. And when Andy showed up, he said, what are you doing with that bucket on your head? He said, Sergeant Carter told me I could think. He said, it really works. Go ahead. Take a think. And I love that because uh, I could probably sit with a bucket on my head for a little while and just think. Thinkers love, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Thinkers should lead the way in the study of God's word. Go deep into the riches because you're able to do that and sustain that. You have the lung capacity, the spiritual lung capacity to dive deep and to stay down a long time and come up with some nuggets, some gems, some hidden treasures, some lost treasures of the word. However, be careful. Don't become arrogant. 1 Corinthians 8 says knowledge puffs up while love builds up. In fact, the first century Gnostics, those who were giving problems to Paul and the other apostles, they were all about knowledge. They thought they had the secret knowledge. If you ever get to the point where you think you're smarter than everybody else, or you think you're the only one thinking, you better think again, because you're not near as smart as God is. And there are other people who come up with ideas a lot easier than you. They don't have to think quite as long. You know, some people are ready to go and you're still there thinking about what you're going to wear. And so we have to be careful not to judge other people because we can think deeply. Proverbs 3, 7 says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. And finally, there are doers. Thank God for Martha. You know, Mary and Martha were serving Jesus, but Martha was really the only one serving. She's the only one doing anything. And she saw Mary over there sitting. I guess Mary was a thinker. And Martha said, Lord, don't you care that I'm doing all the work and she's not doing anything? And instead of the Lord saying, yeah, Mary, you need to get up and do something. Go help your sister. He didn't chide Mary. He said, Martha, you're worried and distracted about so many things. Really, a few things matter. Really, only one. And so in all your doings, and all your work, and everything you, you think you're doing for the Lord, don't be mistaken that it's earning you any more love from God or any more salvation from God because you're not able to earn his salvation or his love with what you do. But when Romans 12.1 is read, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship that resonates with you. But don't forget your weakness. Psalm 127.2 says, in vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. So wherever you are on the spectrum of your personality, know that God can use it. God wants to strengthen it for his glory, for his work. Let's listen again to the end of the psalm that we read from the Passion Translation. It says, God, I invite your searching gaze into my heart. Examine me through and through. Find out everything that may be hidden within me. Put me to the test and sift through all my anxious cares. See if there is any path of pain I'm walking on. And lead me back to your glorious, everlasting way the path that brings me back to you. 
What about you? I know you've been shaped for a purpose, for God's glory, and even your personality can be used for him. Some of you are afraid that you're going to be put in a situation where you're out of your comfort zone or something that's not you. And I want to tell you, just make that known, and there's a spot for you. There's a place for you. We need everyone to step up and to say, Lord, I'm available. Here am I. Send me. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for how you made us, the personalities you gave us. I pray, God, that we could see the strengths in those and maximize them. And we would ask your forgiveness for those weaknesses that are hurting other people and even hurting ourselves. And that we would work to be more like Jesus. I pray, God, that you would open up our eyes, give us self-awareness to help us become available and more aware of how to become available to you. That's my prayer this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand and let's sing this final song this morning in worship to God.